The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This week we are, as you have heard, sung and read in Psalm 91. And it was good to spend some time last week, if you were here, in Psalm 88 to lament because it's important within our life and within the full diet of our spiritual life and discipline to lament, for there is much to lament in the world. There is sadness, and there is difficulty, and there is sorrow. And we as Christians don't stand outside of it and speak into it. We live within the midst of it and redeem it, that we bring hope to those who have no hope, that we speak with truth, And with that truth comes the acknowledgement of sorrow. But it's good after a season of lament to come into Psalm 91, a psalm that has spawned the writing of many hymns and of songs within the church, has been a psalm of great encouragement to the saints throughout the years. The story goes that a young Charles Haddon Spurgeon had been Ministering early in his ministry, a cholera epidemic had broken out and he was doing funerals both for the young and for the old on almost a daily occasion. And that he was exhausted and coming and sinking under the weight of his pastoral duties. And he walked by a simple shop and in the door uh, were words from this psalm. And it encouraged Spurgeon to move back in with all gusto into that ministry and to serve with strength. And it was these words that throughout the ages have helped the church and the saints be encouraged of he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And it's these words that we come to today to find that encouragement. I'm indebted to James Montgomery Boyce, the former senior pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, who wrote much on the Psalms and preached on many of them. And I was encouraged through his treatment of this to share some of those thoughts with you today. Psalm 91 is all about hiding places. It's about finding refuge It's about protection from our enemies, the great promises of God, of dwelling within safety, of dwelling within security. And that security that's given to us is not in some poorly constructed shanty, but it is our spiritual fortress. Our spiritual fortress is God himself. And Luther, picking up on that language, wrote that hymn that you sang just a moment ago, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, that those, those images come from this psalm. And Luther was one who was quite acquainted with suffering, of standing in the midst of danger, of standing for what he knew to be right, and living what seemed to be a fearless life. He would say he had plenty of fear, but he had within him a courage that drove him out to stand for the gospel against an edict upon his head to have him killed, an edict upon all who would follow him to be killed. But yet because of his belief, In God as his fortress and his strength, the Reformation began and we are here today 
because of that type of faith of men and women that we stand upon their shoulders now as Christians in this 21st century America. And the fact of the matter is that we are so safe within our relationship with God that it should dispel fear and allow us likewise to have courageous lives, to live lives of great strength. And so I've got a question for you today. What's keeping you back? What's holding you back from living a life that is presented within the scriptures, which is one filled with great courage and boldness? Uh, one filled with a mitigation uh, of fear uh, that says we understand that there are enemies. We're not naive. We understand that there is an ultimate enemy, uh, Satan himself. We understand that we are regularly under assault. But yet we, with great courage and an indomitable hope, uh, will move into the space that God has created for us to declare his word, to declare the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's holding you back? Most likely what's holding you back is fear. And underneath that fear, a lack of full understanding and belief and trust in who God is and what He promises for us. This psalm is a psalm that is going to be incredibly repetitive and redundant. Because it says the same thing over and over again in different ways. It speaks of the promises of God. It speaks of the trustworthiness of God. And it is saying to us, we can live uh, without fear. We can live uh, that courageous life. Lisa and I have a dear friend who is with the Lord now, but she asked us many years ago, if you only had a couple of years left to live, would you be doing now what you're currently doing? And if not, what's keeping you from doing what the Lord would have you to do? We thought about that, and we were convinced that we were doing uh, that, what we, the Lord has called us to do. But for some of you, you may be going, I don't know, I want to do something more. There's something else. Now, before you run off uh, to think that what I'm saying is you should all become missionaries, no offense, it's good that some of you probably should be, and to go serve the Lord in another country. Think a little bit more simply. What's God calling to you here? While you're here, before he may send you somewhere else. If you're married, he's calling you to live courageously as Christ would have you live within your marriage. To love deeply and sacrificially. To, if you're a parent, to love your children in a way that they would see the character and integrity of Christ in your life. And they would see within you, that's a person that I would like to be like. I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. That if you're facing something difficult that the people around you would go, there's something about you that is so different from what the world has. I want to know what that is. How is it that you're facing cancer differently? How is it that you're facing sorrow differently? How is it that you're facing these things in in a way that doesn't seem to have fear but is incredibly courageous? That's where he's calling you in. Young people uh, who are here, he's calling you to live for Christ within your schools and that takes great courage. You are being written off today. And we, the church and God, is saying to you, no. You have a powerful ministry. You have a powerful place within the world. But it takes courage and strength and belief in this sheltering, refuge, fortress-giving God in order to do that. 
If you're a single person here, the world's telling you you're not complete and you're not full within your singleness. And the scripture says that God is sufficient for you and that you can live in the completeness of who you are at this moment and you don't have to succumb to what the world is telling you you have to do to find happiness. There's enough challenges right here for us and we need to hear this, this story from the Lord, His protection and His goodness. So the first thing that we're going to look at uh, is the constancy of our relationship with God. The constancy or the permanence of our relationship with God. And it comes from verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. You see, this psalm is written with a caveat. All of the promises and everything that's working out from verse 2 all the way down to verse 16 come with this caveat. All of those promises, all of those things are for people who dwell and for people who abide. People who dwell with the Lord and people who abide uh, in the Lord. Who have a constancy of relationship and a permanence of relationship uh, with the Lord. The psalmist is identifying the Lord in his way of saying that you are my shelter. You are my shadow, my refuge, my fortress. I abide with you. I, I dwell in permanence with you. Those two words lack the occasional nature of what life is like today. We live, especially in our culture, like hummingbirds. We flitter in and we stay, but we're so busy and then we move on to the next thing. And if you're, I was talking to my son who works up in Charlotte and he was explaining that when he is recruiting for his company, seeing someone who has one job for multiple years is a negative in our culture today. The quicker you move job to job, the quicker you move from something to something, that's when you gain. There's a lack of permanence. Look at how we're training our children to date. Date, date, date. Continue to date lots of different people. Make sure you date lots of folks. And then you'll finally find the one. And when you finally find the one, break all of those previous trends. And stay permanent with this one. Until you're no longer happy Because God wants you to be happy, and so therefore you should leave this one and go on to something else and pick that trend back up again. And the Lord calls us to a permanence within life, a permanence within our relationships with one another and with Him to dwell and to abide. Hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon speak to this. The blessings that are promised in this psalm are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks towards the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat. Yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. They run to it at times and enjoy occasional approaches. But they do not habitually reside in the mysterious presence. A simple question. Do you habitually reside within the mysterious presence of God? Do you find your life there? Day by day, moment by moment in that knowledge. Or are you coming this morning, as it were, for your hour with God to get your fill up that you hope will sustain you through the course of the week? 
The blessings that are here for us are blessings of the psalm that are not for those who occasionally run to God for help when they're in trouble, nor is it for the sporadic once-in-a-while prayer. God is a refuge to those who habitually seek their abode in Him. That's the first thing. The permanence of relationship with God. Do you have that in your life? Are you developing that within your life through uh, His Word? The intimacy that comes in relationship uh, with Him, that you abide with Him. That the reading of Scripture isn't a discipline only, but it is a lifeline. It is a place to come to know His promises. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you think it would benefit you uh, to memorize the promises of God that are given to us in Scripture? Anybody think that would be a benefit? then why don't we? Do you think it would be a benefit for us to live in relationship with other people who hold our same faith values and beliefs? Yeah, we can have differences on baptism and differences on some other things over here. But at the very core of who we are, to hold uh, to the truth of Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, that His Word is given to us, that He is the hope of heaven. Do you think it would be encouraging and important for us to be in relationship with other people who hold those things? Okay. Do you think it'd be good for us to, to communicate regularly with God in relationship? I was thinking recently of my marriage with Lisa. We've got a great marriage. We talked like a month and a half ago. We don't see a real need to talk much anymore. I see her. And uh, then we'll talk when there's something that comes up. That'd be a terrible marriage, wouldn't it? We don't treat any relationship in this world that way, but yet we treat a relationship with God that way so often. We I mean, we thank Him for His food, our food, uh, but then it's only the occasional help prayer. But to have deep, regular intimacy and communication with God, to abide with Him through His Word, through fellowship with other saints, through prayer, spiritual discipline, considering Him, meditating upon Him, sitting in silence. So does your life show an abiding with Christ? First thought. Second thing, the psalmist is now telling us that God can be trusted, that God can be trusted, or that uh, uh, there is our trust in God is being commended to us, beginning in verse 3, that God can be trusted. Okay, I want to abide with God, but tell me a little bit about this God. Before I totally give my life to Him, I'd like to know what's the benefit of being in relationship with Him. And God answers that question that the human heart asks regularly. And if you're here and you are, are seeking the Lord, if you're wondering and maybe interested in Christianity, you need to hear this. These are some of the promises that God offers to you if you were to give your life to His Son, Christ. And this is the promises that are given to us as Christians. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. I had somebody come up to me after the first service say as a child he memorized Psalm 91, but he memorized it as butler. And so he was very confused later on. It's buckler which is like a rampart or a shield uh, for us, that his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. He, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. 
A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High your refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Did you pick up on the pronouns in there? There was only one. You. These promises are for you. They're not just for the person in the chair next to you. They are for the person in your chair. They are for the person who is hearing my voice today. They are for you. Conditioned, of course, on if you abide with the Lord and he is your Savior, yes. But they are promises that are made for you. This section explains what God will do for the person who trusts in him. He delivers us from danger. It says that he delivers us both from the subtle snares of enemies and from death and disease and pestilence. And that is such a misunderstood part of this psalm because a lot of Christians over the years have said, oh no, there's Christians who've died. There's Christians who've gotten disease. There's Christians who've, who've gone and suffered for the Lord. What's happening? What this means is this does not mean that those who trust God never die from infectious disease or suffer from an enemy's plot. It means that those who trust in the Lord are habitually delivered from such dangers and that their hope can be found in him. I'll give you an example from history. There's a great little book in our resource center if you're looking for a devotional. Uh, it's about church history and it takes glimpses of church history and you read each of them every single day as an encouragement along with scripture. And one of the ones that I read not too long ago was about James Chalmers. Chalmers was a Scottish-born Presbyterian missionary who sailed for the South Pacific in 1866. And while he served there for 35 years in his ministry, he lost two wives and a number of children in the midst of service for Christ. He continued to serve, and he and a friend, Oliver Tompkins, another missionary, were on a trip to New Guinea, and they were on the Fly River region there. And the two went ashore because they wanted to meet the people who were there and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And when they didn't return, a rescue party was sent for them, but by the time they got there, Chalmers and Tompkins had been clubbed to death, they'd been chopped into pieces, cooked, and eaten by the indigenous people that were there. Could it be that Chalmers and Tompkins lacked the faith to gain this promise? Of course it's not. It, it can't mean that. What it means is this, that no ill befalls the saints but what God's love permits. And even this ill will not conquer them. Paul asked the question, shall peril or sword separate us from the love of Christ? And he emphatically answers, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. The psalmist proclaimed absolute safety to the saints, not because they were naive, but because under the impulse of the Holy Spirit, they felt an indomitable hope that God rules and cares for his people. 
Evil simply can't befall them. If it seems to, there must be a glorious deliverance that we can't see. John Piper wrote those words. Chalmers and Tompkins were more than conquerors. That passage doesn't mean that you won't have difficulty in your life. It simply means that when you face difficulty, you can trust the God who holds your circumstances. This God who gives you all of these promises, and I'm going to read through them quickly and touch on just a couple of them. He covers you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. How many of you use the word pinions this week in a sentence? Nobody did. It's a picture of a bird, of covering out over her chicks, uh, over her little ones, a place of safety from the storm, shelter from uh, the elements. It was the imagery that Jesus used when he spoke to Jerusalem in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Part of that promise that God gives to us that he would cover us with his wings is that we have to admit that we need to be under his wings. What a very American thing to admit need. What a very progressive idea to say, I can't on my own take care of myself, therefore I need somebody greater than me to do it for me. We've been trained our whole lives to step out on our own and need no one else. And God is saying, allow me to cover you. Are you willing to be cared for by Christ and to find Him as your refuge? Another promise of protection that He gives is His faithfulness as a shield and a buckler. His faithfulness is a shield. It protects us from something. What's it protecting you from? Why do you need a shield? Why do you wear Kevlar armor if you're in the army? Because something's being shot at you. We have an enemy who hates you and hates us. And it says that the enemy is taking aim at our hearts. For the heart, protect your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the streams of living water. It is the place of our life. And it's saying that's under attack and it's under assault. Do you recognize that enough to go, God, I can't on my own protect it. I am not strong enough. Therefore, I need your shields. I need your buckler. I need your ramparts. I need you to protect me. No fear of terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by the day. No fear of pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor destruction that wastes at noonday. Again, imagery that makes no sense to us in our modern society. But in this ancient society where they lived out in an agrarian culture, where they traveled uh, along roads that weren't safe, uh, where there were bandits, where there was heat, uh, where there was disease, where there were all these things that were happening, it's basically saying this, God has the totality of your life. He has your coming in and your going out. He has your waking up and your lying down. You were covered at all times by him. And there is never a moment in your life when he doesn't have you. You recognize that, right? Does that bring you great comfort or discomfort? Hopefully comfort that at every moment God has you. It may be confusing at times to understand how God has me, yet these things are happening to me. But in the midst of those moments, in the midst of those circumstances, we can fall back and say, but I know God has me. That I have Christ living in me. 
and that I am in Christ, so therefore I am totally complete from within and from without, and that he holds me, and that his hand holds me, and that he governs my days, and he governs my moments, and therefore I can live without fear. I am never vulnerable. There's no condemnation for the righteous with the wicked. That's what that passage it talks about when it says that you'll look for a thousand that fall on your side and 10,000 at your right hand. It's not that the 91st Regiment in World War II read it and no one died. And it means that it's the soldier's prayer and that no one's going to die in war. Christians who are soldiers die all the time in war. That's not what this is about. What this is saying is when the judgment of God comes and the wicked are recompensed, we, the believers in Jesus Christ, are safe That we will look to our right and we will look to our left and we will see the destruction of the wicked, but we're safe in the midst of it. And we can trust that any calamity that comes our way isn't the righteous judgment of God upon our sins, but that it is God's moving through providence within our lives and that we are safe from His judgment because we have the blood of Jesus Christ that has atoned for us and for our sins. That we know that no evil shall befall us and no plague come near our tent. That we will tread on the lion and the adder and trample the young lion and the serpent. That's not encouraging you to go out and to find some snakes and lions and try this out. It's saying in a very interesting spiritual way this, that Satan, our great enemy, has been described as a serpent and as a roaring lion. But because of the God who has you and the God who protects you, you have the power within you through the Holy Spirit to defeat and to crush that lion and to crush that snake. That he doesn't have power over you. Though this world with devils be filled. And it is. But we triumph over them. That you are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Right? That's good news, isn't it? That you can go out with confidence and with strength knowing that God has you and that you have a power to overcome evil. And so you go, well, that's all awesome. But why is this true? How are these promises true to me? Well, they're true because you've made the Lord your dwelling place. Because, verse 9, because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, your refuge. These are true to you. Again, these are not true to all believers. They're available to all believers, but they're not true to all believers. That many believers still live in fear. Many believers uh, don't live it with the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Many of them don't. Many of us don't. Why? Because we haven't made God our refuge and our dwelling place. This is more than merely believing in God or coming to God occasionally when danger threatens. It means resting in God and continually entrusting in Him at all times. It, leaves, it means living all of life in Him. Martin Luther wrote, One who really dwells and does not merely appear to dwell or, and does not just imagine that He dwells in God. You see, God says that you will gain these promises because I care for you and I'm with you and I've given my angels charge over you. That same passage that Jesus used against evil when he was being tempted and Satan said, see, Joe, throw yourself off of the pinnacle. And doesn't it say that the angels will take care of you? And he said, they will, but not in the way that you think. 
Because he knew that Satan had left out one little phrase of that in all of your ways. And he knew that God was going to care for him in all of his ways. And inclusive in all of those ways was a cross and Gethsemane and sadness and suffering. Jesus rejected the temptation to jump off the temple trusting God's angels uh, to guard him. And interestingly enough, the angels were still right there. For when the temptation passed, it said the angels ministered to him. So there are incredible promises that God gives to you that you can trust. Quickly, in the last few minutes that we have, there's this third thing. God makes a personal statement to you. You've heard the psalmist speak. It is God's word spoken through the psalmist. But then the pronoun switches again. It goes to first person, and it's the Lord speaking in verses 14 through 16. Because he holds me in love, I, the Lord, will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Friends, hear this today. This is the Lord speaking to you. This is his word to you that says, I offer you protection when you're in danger. I always offer you protection when you're in danger. The psalm speaks throughout of the many dangers that threaten God's people. But God is continually your help. That he holds you. That he delivers you and protects you. He promises to hear your prayers. He promises to hear your prayers and to answer you when you're in trouble. You know what a prayer, a troubled prayer needs to be? It doesn't need to include King James language and it doesn't need to be long. It can simply be this. God, help. God, help. When you're in the midst of temptation, God, give me strength. When you're fear, God, remind me that you're here. Simple prayers. Do you think God loves to answer those prayers? Of a child who says, help? What kind of parent, when they hear their child yell for help, would go, nope, figure it out on your own. But he would come near and he would help them out and strengthen their hands. What parent wouldn't come to the cry of a child? And our parent, our loving father, will always come and hear our cries. God will be with us in our troubles, which means that he does not always lift us out of our troubles, but he is always with us in our troubles, and he hears our prayers in troubles. It's an important little word there, in. For some of you are always, and some of us are always looking for ways out of trouble. When God says, why don't you stay where you are and find me in the midst of it first. And he says he gives long life and salvation to those who seek his satisfaction. That doesn't mean you're going to live for a long time. The scriptures understand that to mean that you will live a full life in the days that you have. The life that God has given you to live and to understand. The final thing I want to mention is that this is an incredibly personal ministry, a personal relationship. Look at verse 2. We're going to jump back. We said that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That is for people who abide and who dwell. But all of these things are also for one specific type of person. It's the person who has made God my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. 
This is not a generational faith. We live within a culture, at least the southern culture historically, has been a culture that was built within the church. And you would ask somebody, uh, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? And the answer would almost always be yes. Well, tell me about your relationship. Well, my mom uh, was the choir director. My dad was an elder uh, in the church. My grandparents were part of the church. I've just been a part of the church. I'm a Christian because my family is Christian. You may come from a different background, and you could be Catholic or Episcopalian, and it's generational. So you are a Christian. Yes, I'm a Catholic uh, Christian. Well, tell me what that means. Well, my family's always been Catholic. I've gone to Mass my whole life. Uh, my brother uh, is a priest and had an aunt uh, who was a nun. You see, I'm a follower of Jesus because of the generational aspect of it. And what the psalmist is saying is absolutely not. It's got to be personal. He is your God. He is your Savior. He is your refuge, your strength. Nobody else's. This is why young people, you need to understand that you can't regurgitate your parents' faith, but you have to own it and distill it into your own life to say He is my Savior and my God. And that we own that in our lives. And so, For you who are here today, the essential question of the hour is this. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is God your God? And if not, put to the test whatever God you're serving and whatever fortress you're running to, whatever security and protection you are finding, and ask of them, are they fulfilling all of these promises? And if they're not, run to the only one who can and will. And it comes with a great cost, but that cost isn't to you. It's free to you. It's free to us because it costs Jesus Christ everything. But for us, we are saved not by works that any man should boast. For by grace, we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ and his completed atoning work on the cross for us. And we make it ours, my personal one that He is my God, that He is my refuge, my fortress, and He's my trust. Let me encourage you today, don't trust in anything else. It'll disappoint. But God will never disappoint you. He may confuse you, but He will never disappoint you if you make Him your refuge and your strength. Let's pray.